Hi, I'm Andre the Beast Creighton, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Andre the Beast Creighton Show. Um, today is an exciting show. Um, I'm going to think how I should introduce this young man. The um, awards are endless, so I would start out like this. MVP, Super Bowl champion, collegiate champion, family man, entrepreneur, leader, mentor, the list goes on. I briefly met our guest um, yesterday. We uh, um, connected through social media. Thank God for social media. And um, I am a big football fan, Dallas Cowboy fan, matter of fact. We won't go there today. But I was looking at this young man's bio and was really amazed. The show is about Beast's state of mind. And we all have it. We all venture into it, and we sometimes, along life's path, drift out of it, and we try to find our way back into that state of mind. Today's guest has definitely endured different states of Beast's state of mind. He's overcome a lot of the downs, rejoiced over the highs, and praised the outcome. Today, on my show, I have MVP, Super Bowl champion, leader of the community of Indianapolis, Indiana, Welcome, Mr. Gary Brackett. Gary, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Appreciate you, man. Great <laughs> intro, man. <laughs> only fitting. Only fitting. <laughs> Gary, um, like I was saying, I, I um, read your bio, and believe me, I was deeply moved to the point that I was I was in tears. Uh, I share a lot of what your bio said. Um, take the the viewers down a path of your childhood first and your family and then we'll go into other segments of your life that kept you in the beast state of mind right yeah so i grew up in um camden new jersey so i don't know if you're familiar with new jersey or camden i heard of it yeah so uh camden was awarded number one worst city in america uh several times right so not a great place to grow up um but that's where i grew up and um you know kind of the, the hard knock streets of camden um my mom and dad moved out of there when we were i was about five to glassboro new jersey okay so i had uh three older brothers and one younger sister um my father was a uh a marine so retired uh, military man, and my mom was a registered nurse. Okay, hoo ha! <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, um, so for me, you know, growing up, I had you know that strict father that you know taught me some discipline. You know, uh, on time is late, right. right? Make sure you take care of what you need to take care of. Then I had you know my mom who was loving, you know, a nurse ordained reverend. So it was like this this perfect balance. <laughs> um, 
Having three older brothers was interesting because for me, I've always played up in competition. So mm-hmm. even as a young kid, right, I always played against my brothers. You know, I'm in sixth grade there in high school, right? right and I'm right. on the basketball court, football field, playing against them and their friends, right? Because they needed an extra guy, <laughs> and, and, and I was there. So, um, but what it did though was give me a huge advantage when I played against people my size, my age. Okay, what do you mean by advantage? Uh, I wasn't afraid. I mean, okay. you playing against kids in, in high school, you're in sixth grade, right? Right. It's something about being on the sixth grade playground, like, man, y'all can't touch me. <laughs> I just tackled the dude that, you know, the varsity running back. Right, right. So, so for me, it was always just interesting um, having that, that, that tight family uh, community. Um, multiple sport athletes played football, basketball, and baseball. Um, all three of my siblings did. So, man, it was just always on the road, always at practice, you know, um, just getting after, you know, as best I could. Now, your father, Marine, mm-hmm. very disciplined. Tell me a time that your father was really disciplined. I think it was a moment when you was playing football and you was trying to figure out what your father was thinking because you missed the tackle. Give me that. Yeah, so there's the thing about my dad, right? And I think um, – as as we mature as men, um, you figure out different ways to show love. Right. And through our generations, right? So, you know, when I grew up in the 80s, the 90s, it was tough love, right? Your dad wasn't going to, like, sugarcoat anything. He wasn't going <laughs> to— Straightforward. Know, that, do it. Not, and not only that, I, I think the way that my father showed love was through, um, like, holding me accountable. Right. Or constructive criticism, if you will, right? So a game, I, I had what three touchdowns, fifteen tackles, right? So I come home like, yo, you see the stats, like, <laughs> right? I beat like beast mode, right? I beast it out, and my dad was like, nah, you had three and two. I'm like, like He's what you the talking about? He's like, nah, you had three missed tackles or two fumbles. I was like, I right, do, like, whatever. Okay, yeah. So, but it was interesting. So that later on that day, right? I'm just like, man, this dude, like, what? so but I hear him um, through the, through the upstairs window. He outside on the phone bragging to his friend like well, my boys they're killing it. so it's that interesting thing like right. like but now as, as how, a man how did that make you feel knowing that he did that because clearly i know where you're coming from because yeah. my dad showed that kind of love and that's kind of like in our community that's yeah. how we do so when you heard your dad all of a sudden give you those praises to the did that do anything to you as far as energizing going oh well he's really paying attention no because it's funny because again, like um, as a kid, I wasn't as mature as I am now. Emotionally, emotional IQ. So I'm like, what, what, why does dude playing mind games with me? Like, why can't he just give me some flowers, right? So I, I've always struggled. Like, you know what I'm saying? This, like, he's a hater. Like, right, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I didn't understand. Like, no, he just wants me to be my best. He wants me right. um, to strive for greatness. And um, so I took it as like, man, this dude a hater. Like, you know what I'm saying? What, what can I do? Uh, but it's interesting now. Um, with my kids, man, I'm, I'm way more. Um, Hey, what you think about the good, the game, good, bad? What right. can we prove on? What do we do well? And just try to break down with them so they can see the the good and the bad right. of, of each individual event. So tell me about your tell me about your mom. Yeah, my mom, um, ordained reverend, um, sweet lady, um, sacrifice. Um, it's, it's crazy when people always ask you like, who's your hero? Like, who's someone you look forward to? And it had to be my mom. Right. Um, my father, because of being a marine, um, suffered from PTSD. 
So he had post-traumatic stress syndrome. So that um, precluded him from being at a lot of our games, right? He didn't okay. like being around a lot of people, didn't like being in crowds, loud noises. So my mom was the one. So, you know, uh, you scoring a touchdown, your mom, you know, right there by the fence with the cowbell, right? right? Are you going to a game, good game, bad game? She's always there for you. And she just had that ultimate faith, the ultimate belief in you. And um, she, she did not let you get down or stay down too long. Was she harder? Was your parents harder on you? Um, we'll talk about your brothers and sisters in a minute. But was your parents harder on you because uh, you were the, 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 the youngest? So I was the youngest boy. I think um, I don't know if they were harder, right? So the oldest is probably harder on the oldest, trying to set the tone. And then... You know, at the fourth boy, it's just like, I got three kids, right? The first one's like, oh, my gosh, you fell. Oh, let me rinse that off. The third one, you're like, all right, you're all right. Like, three-second rule, right? Um, so I think um, it wasn't that it was, it was hard. It was just like they've seen so many stuff with my older brothers. Right. So, so it was just like, look, all right, we, are, all right, we already know the games. We know the tricks. So let, me, let us cut you off before you even get started. Right, right, right. So you said your mom, she was kind of like the backbone. She now became mm -hmm. your hero. It had to be difficult for your dad so now you're transitioning from two parents coming to watch you right. play to and really trying to understand exactly what your dad actually has uh, but I guess your mom was the comforter and said okay keep your dreams going let's keep going and she became the role model so tell me a little bit more about that your hero yeah I think um, I think my mom would like give her last for her. and she did a lot of times right so i can remember vividly um when as we got older right i'm in high school now my brothers are gone but they live like around the corner across the street so my mom would go out you know there's four kids home so she'd get four sandwiches come home and then the other two would be home <laughs> right so what what you do as a mom right you you give up your sandwich, your sandwich. to other kids right and i can remember like hearing this sound i, I didn't know what the hell it was but it's my mom's stomach growling because she was hungry because she provided for the kids. Wow. And, and it's just like, you as you get older, you you recognize those sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And it really, like, man, like, you know, um, really makes you even more um, appreciative of, of how you grew up and, and what your parents actually sacrificed so you could, you know, so be able to, to, to live. You were... Um High school, everything. I'm going to call you Mr. Everything in sports. That's, <laughs> that's basically what we would call you, Mr. Everything. But in your high school transition from um, – you really didn't get a lot of people looking at you mm. because they judged you on stature, the appearance. You clearly proved the doubters wrong. When that came to your attention, how did they bring that to you that you're not – the prototype but you knew you were so who was able to bring that to you and then how did you go by addressing it to get the scouts to pay attention to you and on the college level we on the college level from high school yeah, to college yeah. so so the crazy part it never happened right so like um i had a lot of sharks against me right so small school right group one group four is the biggest school so i was at the smaller school um my coach sent out my senior high school film like my senior year playoff tape to get me recruited. Right. Right. So no one knew about me. So and he was in a division. Is it? I know I was in a four A. Right. So division. I'm in look one A. You so in one A. Okay. Five hundred kids in my school, small school, and then I'm I'm high school five ten two ten. 
So just like, is this dude a linebacker? Is he a safety? I'm not fast enough to be a safety. I'm not right. big enough to be a linebacker. So it was just one of those challenging things, right? But what, you know, doesn't show up on a stat sheet or what doesn't show up on your height and weight is like your heart. Right, right. And your love of the game and your passion. And if you if you watch high school film, like my stats weren't like gaudy because we blew teams out. I mean, right. there, there was games like second quarter before we went to halftime. Like I got my shoulder pads off. Because you guys Cause already what, knew the blowout. Because we're up 35-0. Right. So just like, so I never had the ridiculous stats, right? Because we would dominate our competition. So that was always a challenge trying to get recognized, but walked on to college. So didn't have an offer, scholarship offer to go to college. I had to walk on to Rutgers University. Which college? Which college? Rutgers? Yeah, so Rutgers University is in New Jersey. Um, at the time, they were playing in the Big East Conference. Okay. So uh, Miami, um, you know, uh, back in their heyday. Um, but, uh, All about the U, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Virginia Tech, you know, was it. Mike Vick, you yeah. know. Um, so uh, even Boston College, right, was a powerhouse. So we played against um, some some really great competition, man. But yeah, I went there as like a recruited walk on, so the coaches know about me. But yeah, I had I had to kind of earn my way to kind of get a scholarship. Did you get the scholarship? Crazy story, right? So my dad calls me, right, my my third year of school, second year of school, and he's like, "Hey, um, he's like, I got bad news." I was like, "What's up?" He was like, "Yo." Um, your, your, the tuition bill came. I'm like, all right, like take care of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a kid. Like, money grows on trees, right? Like, y'all figure it out. He like, he like, yo, we um, we refinance our, our, we've refinanced our house twice. We don't have any more equity in our house. Like, we can't afford your tuition. Like, you have to come home. Wow. And I was like, dang. So I go to my position coach. Like, hey, coach, I'm sorry, man. Thanks for the opportunity. I gotta go home. He was like, home. He was like, you like second team. Back up, you start a special team? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I don't got a scholarship. He was like, what? There's 100 kids, so they don't know who got a scholarship. He doesn't, new coach. So he's like, let me talk to the, the – uh, Financial department? No, financial – and the head coach. Okay. And let me tell him. So he talks to the head coach. He's like, hey, no promises. You know, coach may or may not talk to you, whatever. So I'm like, hey, man. So I'm like, no promises. Like, I got my Honda Excel hatchback <laughs> filled to the brim. I'm out of here. Like, like y'all got to, like, kick me when I'm down. So uh, now he calls me like, hey, coach, want to see you tomorrow morning. So I'm like, I got my, you know, I got my car packed, right? Um, it's a funny thing about that car. Hot next, uh, I think it was like a 1989. They don't break down. Uh, <laughs> bruh, 50 on the highway, that thing shook, right? So it's just like, that's how, that's why my arms got so big, you know what I'm saying? But um, so I go inside the uh, the coach room, Coach Terry Shea, and I shake his hand. Hey, man, thanks for the opportunity. He's like, yeah. He's like, so uh, so I heard you got, you got to go home, huh? You got a scholarship. You can't afford tuition. I'm like, hey, man, I can't, right? So he's like, <clears throat> so he's like, I just want to tell you, man, we're going to recruit players that are bigger and better than Gary Brackett. So I'm like, ooh. I'm like, don't kick me when I'm down. Like, yeah. bro, like, I, I get it. Like, I'm out. Like, But he was like, uh, and I was like, so I'm like, so I'm put off. So now I'm like to walk out like, all right, bro. Like, I ain't trying to, like, hear this right, before right. I get out of here. But he's like, he's, like, he's like, hey, wait. He's like, but you know what, man? He's like, you work hard. You're first in every one of our drills. You give me everything you got. And and honestly, I wish I had 53 Gary Brackets. Wow. Like a kid just dropped out of school because of grades. We got an open scholarship. I'm going to give it to you. You got a scholarship. Wow. That was that had to like really set your mind at ease. So I'm like, so I'm crying, right? Emotional, give him a hug. He's like, yo, like, he, <laughs> he don't know what it meant, right? So, th- so this next moment changed my life. So I go in the locker room. 
And um, my buddies was like, yo, what, like, what you in for? Like, I'm dressed to work out. They're like, I thought you was going. I was like, yo, I got a scholarship. So we clowning. Like, we, we happy, right? <laughs> so uh, so i never forget this dude comes to me, Wesley Robinson, right? 6'3", about 245, 5% body fat. So he come over there like. He buffed. So he, yo, yo, what's going on? I'm like, hey, I get a scholarship, man. I get to stay. And he looked at me, and then it changed my life. He said, scholarship? You should worry about starting. Then he walks away. I'm like. Starting, right, bro. I just wanted a meal plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You talk about starting. Like I was, I was the kid waiting in line for you to swipe me in so I can go eat. You know, (laughs) so I had forty meals in my. So I'm like, bro, I can eat. Like, what are you talking about starting? Yeah. So, but that night, right, I go home and and that keeps on playing in my head. Like, man, you should worry about starting. I'm trying to go to sleep. You should worry about starting. I'm just like, so then like you, you make a deal with yourself. Like, so you ask yourself the question, like. What would it take for me to start? So now you now you're playing with the devil, right? So now so now you like yo, you you gotta start waking up earlier. You gotta stop eating bad food. Stop putting junk in your body, right? You gotta stop drinking so much. You gotta watch film. You gotta be dedicated in the weight room. So you, so you get this list of all these things you gotta do, right? And then it's just like you know what? I'm gonna commit to this list. So before the list even came out, before the guy approached you. The coach recognized your abilities. Yeah. So did the th- thought of ever starting even hit your mind, or was it more – you was more academically driven than you were sports driven, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, no. So the thing is, right, so I was I was always athletic, right? Right. But I wasn't disciplined. Okay. So, you know what I'm saying? I was at the time 245, right? I played in the NFL 225. Okay. So I'm fat, out of shape, Right. And I wouldn't get a lot of playing time. So when I was getting there, I always thought I got to hit a home run. So I'd be guessing, you know what I'm saying, not doing what the play caused me to do. So while I was talented, while I was strong, while I was, was fast, quick, like I never had an opportunity to really lock in and stay focused and stay disciplined to get it. So they, they recognized it in me, right? I was starting special teams. I was a backup, but they, they couldn't trust me. Right. Okay. So, so doing all those things that I made on that list gave them the ability to trust me which then gave me the ability to be the starter. So what he said really impacted you. I mean, it changed my life. And it's this poem called um, The Meanos Hire. And it was like, I, I, I work for a penny, like only the loan that's made. Like, so it's this guy who talks about he worked in the store for a price, right? And the, the thing of it is, we all have this option to ask life for what we want. Right. And then life's going to say, all right, this is what you want. This is what I need from you. Right. And then we got to make an deg- agreement whether or not we want to give, you know what I'm saying, make that sacrifice. And a lot of people today really don't make those those, no. those sacrifices. They don't put down those things. But at a young age, you, well, I guess you was probably like 19. Yeah. You know, that took a man a man step to say, let me sit back and, and really put down my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to get to that level? Mm-hmm. So when you start putting these things into play, how did your life begin to change? It, you know, it's crazy. So now I, I believe life now is like these seven pillars in your life, right? You got self-development, you got career, you got fitness and health, financials, mm-hmm. like your home life. So when you become disciplined, especially, right? And, and I'm talking to a guy who's done it on a professional level, but when you're disciplined in your fitness and health, area mm-hmm. when you're disciplined in what you eat how you sleep how you take care of your body it affects every other area of your life yeah that's true so for me you have better relationships now 
right? For me, your your spirituality is cleansed, right? Because I'm not eating junk food. I'm not jerking. I'm not crazy. Financially, I'm not spending that money. So when you really affect and control your fitness and health, it affects every other area of your life. You know, we're going to talk about those pillars right. a little later in um, the podcast because remember um, – fans i want you to pay close attention to these pillars because we're going to emphasize that Mm -hmm. later so let's keep moving forward um throughout these the the college transition you also went through some some hard times with your with the loss of your mom and your dad during your college yeah i was actually in the nfl so was in the nfl so i lost my my best friend um i lost my best friend in college okay tell me about that yeah so uh i obviously uh uh very talented, uh, did not go to college, um, got caught up in the street life, um, and one night uh, he got murdered. So I was a senior uh, at the time, junior actually, and I had to go home and be a pallbearer. And it just really tells you in life, man, the choices you can make. Because I was thinking about not going to college, doing the same thing, right? So for me, it just really just put it in perspective. A few things. One, how valuable life is. Mm-hmm. And secondly, how valuable your choices are. It's funny because you just, I don't know if people heard what you just said. You almost went down that, that path. Yeah. What was the transition that made you decide not to go down that path? So, so for me, and this is a challenge that, you know, a lot of us face uh, depending on where you're at, uh, especially African-American men is that growing up, a lot of times, you don't have positive role models. 100% true. So, and not that my mom wasn't a role model, but I don't want to be an ordained reverend, I don't want to be a nurse, so it wasn't like something I want to you know, right, emulate. Right. So a lot of times, the challenge becomes, like how do you model yourself off of something that you don't know exists? Right. So for me, what was stronger than modeling myself after someone was not modeling myself after someone. So seeing the worst, right? We, li- we lived across the street from the projects. Right. So I've seen criminals. I've seen crime. I've seen violence. And I was just like, man, I want to be a part of this. Right. I had a strong desire to remove myself from that situation. And that strong desire is why I decided to go to college and, and, and get education and try to get out of it. Did you, did you have uh, survival remorse with your friend? Because he was your friend. Did you wish that maybe you could have... We all have done that. I know yeah, you yeah. probably sat back and said, damn, I wish I could have done something. But um, I guess you did do something. I'm pretty sure your friend is like, wow, you you changed your life because you could have been in the in the ground next to him. So I, I have this saying that I, that I really believe on, and, um, and obviously we're going to touch on um, my family um, next, but um, my belief is that the way you honor the dead is how you live your life. Okay, that makes sense. Right? The the best honor that I could give someone that's not here anymore is going out there being an inspiration, going out there being a leader, going out there being a mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Giving back to people. That's the best way I can honor you. I, I, I can't honor you by being at your gravesite, by being depressed, by, you know what I'm saying, not living up to my potential. That's not honoring you. Right. But by living my life to my fullest, I'm giving you the best kind of honor. You mentioned role models. Mm-hmm. and. I'm African-American man, and I'm, we're not just saying this happens with just African-American men, but it happens a little bit more. We always looking for, and I know myself in my own personal journey 
um, sports was a way out. Mm-hmm. There wasn't role models. I believe my first role model was my was my coach, and yep. I remember uh, um, going in my first year in high school, and uh, they had track and field. And I'm from Georgia, right? And uh, to go to Pepsi Cola, Florida, was big. It was the Pepsi Cola relays in in uh, Tallahassee, and uh, I remember him saying, "We're only taking 15." And this was my first year, and I said, I can't. And I remember Coach Hugh Hicks played for the Dallas Cowboys and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. He looked at me, and he said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go home and look that word up and come back tomorrow and tell me what it meant. Mm. And I looked, and I looked, and I said, Coach. I said, I couldn't find that word. He said, they never use it. And I said, wow. And that was like a life-changing moment in my life. And I said, I'm never going to use that word again. I'm going to try to find a way to make things happen. But with that said, looking for a role model, back to your family. You right. lost you lost your father. He was a, a, a male role model to you. Mm-hmm. Who stepped up, not even stepped up, let me rephrase it, when you lost your role model, because mm-hmm. that, was, that was the mentor outside of your brothers and your immediate family. Who did? Who was the person that came and you and, and you kind of mentored and was like you gravitated to him? Uh, you know what's crazy? Uh, so my first year in the NFL, um, week eight, I get a call that my father passed away. Right, so go home, bury my father during the off season. Um, six months later, I lose my mom, and then a year later, I lose my brother to cancer. So eighteen months span, I lost my mom my brother and my father so at the time the linebacker crew was me Cato June and David Thornton and we was as thick as thieves and so many times mentors people are looking like yo their mentor is someone older right but so many times our friends can be mentors to us right and and what I've learned through that time was like man how a friend comes through in a situation when you need them. Right. Because so many times I think the misconception is like, yo, you're going through something, so now I'm going to tell you, yo, Andre, yo, you're going through it, but hey, if you need me, I'm here for you. Right. And they put the burden on you, right? But you're going through something. Right. The last thing you want to do is carry that. Or or risk rejection. Right. Right? I'm going through something. I'm already at my lowest. Right. I'm going to ask you for something. You reject me, bro. I might... You may not even read. That might be it. Yeah. So what my friends did, man, they they didn't wait for me to ask. They 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 it was proactive. Hey, come get your ass at the house. Hey, we going to Bible study. Hey, we going to dinner. Hey, we like nah, I'm I'm coming I, I don't want to drive. I'm I'm I'll pick you up. Right. So I think true friends really don't wait for the ask. And I think that really taught me so much, man, about mentorship about your friends, your dogs being there, right? So, you know, the whole thing, uh, New Jack City, CMB, yeah. right? Cash Money Brothers, right? We all we got. Right. And and that's the type of bonds and relationships that I formed. That's why, you know, you, you look at these NFL players, just the football players in general, um, like, man, what, like, what, like, what's the stronghold? Why are these dudes so, like, affected by this locker room? And it's those type of relationships that you don't get anywhere else. Right. With the loss of your parents, um, let's take people down a little bit because they need to understand what the life is like for an NFL player. And mm-hmm. a lot of people think that um, it's, it's, it's um, 
roses. Everybody's not making Tom Brady money. Right. You came on pretty much as a walk-on. Right. You, your job wasn't guaranteed, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you wasn't even signed yet. Why you? While this turmoil was going, going down. Now it was my first year rookie contract. Um, <laughs> my signing bonus was two thousand dollars, right? So uh, free agent signing bonus was two thousand dollars. So I, so like I spent you know like a bunch of money because I had to go home, I had to rent a right. car, get my. So I got here and I got my check for twelve hundred, and I was like, yo, like. I got two thousand dollars with my money. At. It was FICA, right? Taxes, suited food. I'm like, they like, yo, taxes. I'm like, what? So I'm in a hole day one in the NFL, right? So not only did I have millions, I'm negative in my bank account. Um, and people really don't understand that. A lot of NFL yeah. players now it's changed. They have financial assistance and stuff. But when you, when people look at it, they be like, man, that dude, yo, that dude was balling. But a lot of NFL players start out in the negative for for some reason, maybe mismanagement or none, the ability not to know what their uh, money is, or yeah. maybe not even having an agent. Did you have an agent? Yeah, yeah. I think they have agents, and and I think you know, obviously, some players spend money before the draft and then don't go as high. But I think now. Um, one, they get paid a lot more money. Yeah, right. I definitely was born in the wrong decade. Um, but but second, I think um, you know they're being smarter. I think um, the the internet man it just has so much information and guys are learning from you know some of the other guys' mistakes. But I think they're doing a better job of educating, better job being smarter. But the reality of the situation is, the average NFL career is two and a half, three years. Right. Well, look at that Prescott. I mean, people were like, "Okay, give him the, you know, give him the money. Don't give him the money." This guy just got hurt. Yeah, done for the season, you know. So, but not to t- focus on the money. So you, your, what I was going with that topic was, people needed to understand that maybe you wasn't even signed yet, or you didn't have the mega money, but you're still trying to keep your family intact because you know you have deaths in the family you're going back and forth that's a lot on your plate at the age of what maybe 22 23 years old 23 you now are a man so so the crazy part about it right um is that you know NFL players they're not born sophisticated into money. A lot of us don't come from set families and situations where we're taught money, we're taught finances. So for us, we feel like there's so many people who got me here, it's, it's our money. Right. Right? So for me, it's just like, yo, I give my last. Like, my brother was dying of cancer. Like, I gave, I'd have emptied my bank account if I could have found a cure for him. Right. Right? right? I, I mean, I emptied my soul, right? I gave him a bone marrow transplant. But just the type of dudes that we are, right? Because for me, it's always more important than making the money was the person you become while you make it. While you're making it. People don't understand this, too. During the time that your brother was going through this cancer, I guess people don't understand what a bone marrow transplant mm-hmm. actually means for what you did for your brother. You had to literally get injected with a flu-like symptom. Right. Help assist your brother. Then on top of that, report to camp and be in condition to keep your job. Right. Tell me about that. Yeah, so second year in the NFL, um, we're we're going into a training camp in May, right? Right around my birthday. Um, my brother, right? We grew up. We look like twins. My um, Greg, which was great because uh, he was three years older, right? So essentially, when he turned twenty one, I turned twenty one, right? <laughs> so uh, uh, that was great for me. I was in high school, um, but 
So uh, we went to go get the, the matches, right? I'm a perfect match for him. But the problem was he didn't have insurance, so it was all financial aid. They were playing around with him. So comes to May, he's dying in the hospital, and I get a call like, hey, he just got to prove your brother's dying. Like, we need you here on Monday to give, a, to give him his bone marrow. And we had camp that weekend. So I had to go to Coach Dungey and um, talk to him like, hey, Coach, man, um, my brother, is, um, he's in the hospital dying of cancer. And Coach Dungey's father just died of cancer, so he was familiar. And he was always family first. It was great about Coach Dungey. And I was like, I got to go home and, um, you know, give him a bone marrow transplant. He was like, man, you know, the family's always comes first here. So that's what I did. So it's crazy because I went home. And a lot of people have this misunderstanding uh, about bone marrow. I think, I don't know the research, but I think it's a low percentage of the times like bone marrow actually is that long needle in your back to get the marrow. Mm -hmm. And that's what most people think when they think about a bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. For my p transplant, it was being in a room, hooked up to a machine, and they took out the white cells. Um, well, they took all the blood out, they extracted the white cells, right? And then they put the red cells back in my body. Well, in order to boost your white cells, right, they got it like, the best time your white cells are increased is when you're sick. Right. So they got to give you a, a Neuprogen is called, and it's a shot that really just boosts your, your white cells, uh, pretty much injecting yourself with the flu. But the, the kicker was like, yo, at the time, I'm 9 10% body mass. I'm 230 solid. They like, yo, you ain't no regular dude, so we got to give you like triple the amount in order that we can extract as many as we can. Yeah. So, yeah, so for that weekend, it was not a great weekend. Um, but, like, again, like, you know what I'm saying? If that's that's little in terms of sacrificing um, for the opportunity to, to to save my brother. That is a lot on your plate to be a, a young man. Mm -hmm. But let me go back a little bit more. Not only did you do that, but I'm gonna go back one more notch here. Um, your mom, you did something. T you had did to to make decisions that a person that, of your age it had to be difficult right. to make the decision. Let, let the viewers know that. Yeah, so um, again, um, first person in my family uh, with a college degree. Um, now I'm in the NFL, right? So of course, like, my father's gone, so I'm at the head of the household, right? So um, my mom's in the hospital. She went in for a routine surgery, um, and she had a, a stroke on the recovery table. So now we're in the hospital, had to make some tough decisions about, you know, what should happen. And my mom was a reverend, and she was bubbly, she was alive, and as the stroke progressed and got worse, um, her condition got worse. So her, her brain function was almost at like 5%, meaning that she'll be a vegetable for yeah. the rest of her life, right? So she's still alive because she's hooked up to the life machine. So um, I drive home, and I, I remember this episode of Seinfeld. I don't know if you watch Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. So, Kramer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one episode where I think the father was in the hospital, right? And then every time uh, he's hooked up the machine, the wife comes in, and the, the machine goes off the hook, right? Yeah. So then she leaves and comes back down. And then she comes back and it goes off the hook again. So then he was like, yo, like, mom, you're killing dad. Like, every time you come to the hospital, like, his level's off the hook. And then and then the father was like, nah, like, I, my heart still flutters and skips a beat when I, every time I see your mom. Like, she's the love of my life. The right. whole thing, I can't live without her. And it just really made me think about my mom and my dad's relationship, right? right. They were together um, 20, 30 years. And it's one of those things. Like, my mom lost her best friend when my father passed. So it was selfish for us to keep us here at 5% brain capacity where she wanted to, you know, go home and be with my, my father. And, and in addition to that, being a Christian, 
I, I just believe that if God was going to make a miracle, that he didn't need a life machine. Right. So the next day I kind of went to the hospital and I made the decision for the family to take my mom off the life support machine. And if the miracle was going to happen, um, you know, the, the God wouldn't need a machine. So unfortunately it didn't happen. Um, she went on to be with the Lord, but I think, you know, again, just perspective, man. And, um, why do you think your family put you in charge of that decision? Um, I, I think education and, and I think, you know, I've always been a leader okay. and, and a part of being a leader is sometimes you got to make the unpopular decision. Okay. And and as a leader, you have to be good with that. Right. And so many people aren't good with making that decision, right? So somebody, like my sister wouldn't want to make that decision. Some of my, my brothers didn't want to make that decision. Like, yo, who going to think? And for me, it's just like wh- how I make decisions. And that, that's why I was a captain. That's why people are respecting me. Because I look through the lens of what's best for the person making the decision for. Okay. So when I made a decision about my mom, it's what's best for my mom, not what's best for me. Hmm. So many people can't make a decision what's best for another person without leaving themselves out of the equation. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make a decision, but ultimately it's gonna be best for me. Right. Right. It's not gonna be what's best for you, it's gonna be what's best for me for you. And for me, to be always able to step outside myself and say, hey, what's best for her? And and for me it was an easy decision. So um, you know, I had you know, just Silas knowing that, you know, I made the, the best decision. Um, I was raised well. Um, they they instilled so many, you know, um viable um, you know, values inside of me and, and for me, you know, I felt like it was time for them, you know, to to go and, 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 and be without pain. On a lighter note, and believe me, I, I, I feel your pain. Um when I read the bio, like I said, I I, I was in tears, especially more so for the fact that you was a young man that had to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, so on a lighter side, let's, let's talk about the Gary Brackett of the NFL. You played with Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. You played with some of the – Marvin Harrison? Marvin, Reggie Wayne. So tell me the good side about – James. About playing – I love – <laughs> yeah, yeah, not facts. <laughs> so you, tell me what's that like playing with those guys? Let's talk to you about a lighter side of Gary. Yeah, no, the crazy part, right? Um, man, Coach Ciano, uh, that's my guy. Uh, he at Rutgers now. Uh, tough loss yesterday. But um, he, uh, my first camp, um, I was kind of starstruck, right? He was a young kid from Rutgers. Um, we got spanked. Now you're going to lead. You're playing against like with one of the best teams in the NFL. And man, you just so like uh, caught up by yo. That's Peyton, man. That's Edgar James. That's Marvin Harrison. So I go home like I'm making mistakes, right? Cause like oh, that's Peyton. Like oh, oh, that's Edgar. So then he was go home. I went home and I kind of told him that he was, he was like yo, when you go back, that's number eighteen, that's number thirty two, and that's number eighty eight. They put their pants on one leg at a time like you, and when they bleed, it's red just like yours. Right. They're men. And that changed my life and changed my perspective of like when I there, how I attack, right? So, and so then it just became like a competition. Like you're competing against the best, and right, iron sharpens iron. So when we were out there, we're just getting after it, talking trash. But I think because we worked so hard in practice, the games became easy. Mm-hmm. You know what? I noticed that year. That was the year, one year, you guys were playing against Pittsburgh for the Super Bowl. Uh, we were playing against them in the, cha- in in the, the championship. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, AFC. That was a, we should have went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so it's crazy, right? So I am have a famous play, right? Um, uh, they get the ball back. They're up three, 
three-yard line. They give the ball to Jerome Bettis. I remember. And I pop it out and make him fumble, right? Yeah. So Nick Carpenter picks it up. Obviously, he zigs instead of zags. Um, he gets tackled by Roethlisberger. And, um, yeah, but we, that was definitely our best team, our 2005 Colts uh, team. You became the MVP. What was that like? Yeah, so um, I, I, I never – I was the – I was always awarded uh, MVP in, in college – um, not necessarily the NFL. NFL um, biggest honor was being named captain. And really? Then, yeah. So being named captain with Peyton Manning for several years um, throughout my career and just being leader of an organization, really just first class organization. Jim Ursay, the Ursay family, um, Bill Polian, Hall of Fame, you know, GM, Hall of Fame coach. Right. So I just honor and blessed to be around some great individuals with some great minds. How did that make you feel when you became the captain? Man, it was humbling. I think I think it was like unanimous except for me. I think I'm the only one who didn't vote for myself, right? Um, but I think it was that that aha moment, right? Because right. I, I, you know, I was a walk on. I was a free agent, right? I, I wasn't used to like being on the pedestal. Like I, I was gonna do my job because that's what I do, right? right? It wasn't because I got a title, right? So for me, um, getting a title was like, wow, this is this is this is big, you know. Um, uh, clearly. Your beast frame of mind has gone in and out, and now it's still moving forward before we run out of time. Tell me the things that you're doing now for the community. you an entrepreneur. You mm-hmm. got restaurants in Indianapolis. You have foundations, and you also starting a new mentor program for individuals. Tell me about that. Yeah, so unfortunately, um, um, this year has been challenging with COVID, right? So taught me some viable lessons. And um, with the restaurant industry, it's very challenging making money when you're closed, right? And even more challenging when your sports bar and sports are cut off. So um, early in the year, I made this decision to pivot from the restaurant industry. I've, I, it was like Monopoly, right? I don't know if you play Monopoly, right? I love so it. all game long, you uh, build your board up. And you spend all your money to acquire property, right? And mm-hmm. then you got houses and hotels. And then only one card in the game can be detrimental, right? Right. And that card is, you know, you got to pay taxes on each house. And these mo- so that's how I felt, right? <laughs> Getting a bag and, you know, 10 stores, not making money, no sports. So that cash drain was so significant. And, and, and running the numbers and looking at the financials, there wasn't one event that ever was going to occur to like get back what I lost. Right. So then you start thinking about sunk costs and about you know money that was invested that was gone. And for me, realizing that the one thing that's not renewable is time. Right. So making a decision now, like yo, my time is better served. Like get into more roles as a coach, a leader, a mentor, than than struggling through these next restaurants because unfortunately, we're just seeing the beginning. Of what's going to happen because bigger, of COVID. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, when all this money runs out and everything else, like, there's people hanging on. And for me, it was just like, man, let me, let me retool, let me pivot. Um, so now in this space doing, like, business consulting, um, doing coaching, and just really helping businesses grow and scale um, in ways, like, over the years, you learn techniques and tools that you didn't realize when you made decisions earlier, right? Tell me about the the, 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 the tools and the pillars because that's your new project with mm-hmm. with the new uh, um, mentoring thing. Right. Tell the, the viewers uh, about that protocol that you're doing now to help them right. get to the next level. So GaryBrecker.com, right? So I've always been a speaker, right? And I, I've always termed myself a transformational speaker, not a motivational speaker. 
Right. Okay. So my goal is not to motivate you. Right. You have to motivate yourself. My my goal is to transform you. And how you do that by giving them a set of tools. Right. Right. So understanding that goals are great, but systems are better. Right. Right. So if your goal is to lose weight, that's awesome. But if your system isn't eating clean, working out, exercising, you're never going to reach that goal. Right. So right. So understanding and teaching people the tools or how they could change their lives and how they could affect their business, you could really two x, three x, four x someone's business just by changing their psychology. So really me coming up with programs, and the first one was Champions Academy. I believe that you could be a champion in every area of your life, right? So we talked about fitness and health, mm-hmm. um, self-development, business and career, finances, spirituality, intimate relationships, and then social relationships. Okay. So so many people sacrifice one for the other, right? You probably know a lot of people who have great businesses, but their family life is terrible. Oh, yeah. Or their family life is terrible. Terrible, but their business is good. Right? So it's this thing of like, yo, how do I really take an assessment of where I'm at in my life and then how do I get better? And you show people with your program how to do this. Exactly. So I came up with this framework, right? It's called the CHAMP framework, right? C-H-A-M-P. So CHAMP framework is like, first we look at your current situation, right? Let's really assess currently where you are. And so many people lie to themselves, right? So this, the, my daddy said, you lie to yourself, who can you trust? So your current situation isn't you with your shirt off, uh, I mean, what is it you with your shirt on in the mirror, like, yo, like, I'm I'm good. Now, as you butt naked in front of a mirror, <laughs> you're like, ah, yeah. Now, I need, let's I, see what yeah, needs to be yeah, done. Yeah, I need to work on that, right? So, first, you get this assessment. We're all assessing where you're at. It's beautiful. Now, if you're going on a uh, destination, what do you need? You need a map. So, right. now, let's hone in on your desired destination. So, now, where do you want to go? Let's, let's paint that out. No limitations. Don't put limitations on yourself on where you want to go. Where you want to go is where you want to go. It's okay to dream big. So many people think, well, I guess I, I kind of want to take vacations. I guess I want a five-car. So do you find people shortchange themselves? All the time. All, all the time, people use other people's perceptions and other people's limited beliefs and fears and let them affect their lives. Okay. And are afraid to live their lives. Right? People that you that I hang with, they're afraid to say, yo, I want a multi-million business. Now, if I, if I make, you know, $40,000 a year, I'm good. I'm like, $40,000? Right. If I make that one deal, I'm good, right? So <laughs> yeah. just change your mind, right? And whatever you change your mind, you could do in reality. Okay. So next, after you hone your desired destination, you A, you apply the 80-20 principle. And what's the 80-20? My, my belief is that 20% of what we actually do result in 80% of our results. Okay. And so many people think in order to acquire success that they need to add additional tools or really they need to dish by subtraction. They need to start doing some some things. Right, right. Right? So you, you probably work with people now and they're training the fitness. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to take this program. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that. Nah, all you got to do is remove these things from your diet right, right. and exercise <laughs> this much a week. That's, that's it. Why do you think that people, I'm glad you brought that up, why do you think people make it so difficult? It's because they allow the influences and to, to penetrate their mind and they can't get out of it? I think people generally want a shortcut. And, I'm glad you said that because I didn't want to say it. Right, right. And, 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 and the shortcut is doing the work. Yeah. There's no shortcut. Okay. Take the stairs, do the work, right? <laughs> so then M, after you understand what's the 20% that gets you the results, then you take massive action. Right. Massive, consistent action. Right. And so many people are afraid because they've been putting in work. They're not seeing the results because they're judging themselves based off someone else. Well, you're not running a race against anybody else. You're running a race against yourself. Are you better than you were yesterday? Are you in better shape? Are you five pounds lower? One pound? It doesn't matter. Are you better than what you were? If you are, great. Congratulations. Let's keep on moving. So some people use the time factor because... Even as a trainer, and I'm pretty sure you get this with with your program, 
they want to see instant gratification. Doesn't work like that. And I'm glad you said it. it doesn't work like that. Your program is proven information because you have a, you have used these tools in your own life. Yeah, not not only that. I mean, I, I, I'm helping clients like see clarity, right? And the last P is is that pursuit of transformation, right? You look at some of these LeBron James, Bill Gates. They're still pursuing life, not because they need any money, right? But but they're pursuing and chasing their best selves. And I think our ultimate goal in life is to chase our best selves, right? right. Is to never settle. Right. And I think once we establish that framework, there's nothing that we can't overcome. Gary, how do the people get to contact you to learn about? these seven steps to learn more about you and having you uh, impact their lives. Yeah, so my website is right here, GaryBracket.com. Um, you could definitely hit me up on there. I'm on all social media channels like Gary Brackett. Um, yeah, and that, like I said, it just, it's, it's a commitment, right? And um, it, it's an investment, right? I don't look at it as like what it costs. It's like, what are you willing to invest in yourself? And when people look at, you know, what they need to invest in themselves, the ultimate decision is, are you willing to commit? And if you want to commit, it doesn't matter what you invest because an investment is going to give you a return on, on your dollars. Right, right. And if that return is there, I, I, if you tell me, yo, give me a million dollars, I'm going to make you two, right? I'm going to find a way to get you a million dollars. <laughs> so so it just really just people, people reprogramming their brain and really asking themselves what are they willing to commit to. And uh, when they make that commitment, man, their lives can change. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. MVP, Mr. Captain, Mr. Everything, my man, Gary Brackett. Gary, thanks for being on the show. Hey, we will have you back to talk about more of your program, The Seven Steps. Uh, I encourage individuals to reach out to Gary. Right now, we need programs like what Gary is putting together. And the reason for that is because we need to learn how to rebrand ourselves. Uh, not of color, not of race, but in general, we need to know how to rebrand ourselves. And clearly, this program is the tools, the pillars to getting you started. Start investing in yourself. Gary is definitely in the beast state of mind. He's moved himself in the beast state of mind. He's always been there. Gary, if you have one thing to tell to the viewers uh, to keep them strong during this questionable Mm -hmm. time that we're dealing with uh like to give a shout out to the election i don't like to get political but you know what we need to give thanks that we've made history we have the first african-american female long right. overdue i i call it like it is it's long overdue um we uh with that gary what can you leave our viewers with to keep them strong during this questionable time that we're dealing with uh, the the one thing I will leave them with is this notion that success leaves clues, right? Success leaves clues. Like, stop trying to do everything on your own. Stop trying to figure it out on yourself, right? People have been where you've been before. They have succeeded. They have won in life. And there's a blueprint on how you get that done. You do not need to recreate the wheel. There's a system that if you put in place will change your life. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the Andre The Beast Show. Gary, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Tune in for another episode of the Andre The Beast Show.